I'm Dale Denwalt. And I'm Nuria martinez Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. The coronavirus pandemic has affected virtually every aspect of life in Oklahoma. Our health, our jobs, our economy, and as we'll learn about today, our property as well. We're talking all things real estate, commercial and residential. Richard Mize is the Oklahoman's real estate editor, and he's joining us today on the podcast. Richard has closely followed the pandemic's effects on real estate and business, and he recently published stories that examined residential, industrial, and commercial markets. Richard, we've seen big box stores, malls, and large retailers struggle in recent years with the rise of online shopping. And the pandemic seemed to be the death knell for some of these businesses. You opened your story with the closure of the Stein Mart in Oklahoma City. Is there a way forward for these companies that were already in trouble before COVID-19? I think that's the point. The ones that failed at the beginning of this pandemic were already in trouble. And so any disruption like that it just, it just messed up their whole game plan and their whole business plan. Uh, the ones that were not already wobbly, uh, they weren't wobbly because they were figuring out ways to integrate online with bricks and mortar shopping and experiences. Experiences has been the thing, the, 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 the bell ringer in retail for five, five, 10 years, I guess. Uh, so if they were already integrating the different ways to shop, when the pandemic hit, it didn't, I don't believe it didn't necessarily jerk their legs out from under them. They were already used to zigging when they needed to zig and zagging when they needed to zag, if you will. And so it was a big challenge, obviously. Uh, but it, that's not, the pandemic didn't, out, it, the pandemic itself, by itself, didn't kill very many uh, businesses. I don't believe, I mean, retail, retail businesses. Now, by experiential retail, you mean places like Topgolf, right? Uh, you're not going there to buy anything, but, uh, you know, uh, you're not, going to buy like a code or anything you're going to buy an experience yeah and it's it's interesting because i'm not a, i'm one i'm not a shopper and i'm not that i'm not a real experience or either so to me experience retail is putt-putt golf <laughs> you know <laughs> or the old arcades but that's exactly right top golf is like as i understand it it's like an arcade for grown-ups <laughs> that like to golf right and some of those other things and so uh, um, anything that people could do one to get out of the house and to maintain social distance had success last year. The Chisholm Creek was a winner because a lot of what's at the Chisholm Creek shopping center isn't just go and buy and take home. It's go and smoke a cigar uh, or go and play top golf or whatever else is out there. Now, as far as commercial lots um, across the, uh, uh, across the state, across the city, um, specifically in your story, you reference that there's been a rise in vacancy since the pandemic began with these commercial properties. Um, Last year it was 8.7% vacancy. Uh, Now it's uh, over 11% vacancy with commercial structures. Uh, What does that rate tell us, and is it something to worry about? Remember, we're talking about a very specific thing. It's space in shopping centers, not land, and it's in shopping centers or malls, and it's leased. So we're not talking about owner-occupied space. We're talking about companies, retailers, stores that lease space to have their stores. So that's what we're talking about. 
that increase in uh, vacancy, I'm pretty sure, was due to mainly to some of the big boxes, uh, to, to the pennies uh, that closed and some of the other stores, you know, the bigger stores. And so they have an outsized effect on the statistics for the same reason that they're called big box stores because they're, they are big. And they're usually the chains, the national chains, uh, not, a, not a local store. And to, to your point earlier, um, you know, if, if, if Penny's closed, um, it wouldn't necessarily because of the pandemic. It's probably uh, more along the lines of, uh, you know, people have Amazon and uh, other, you know, other ways to shop rather than going into a mall. Penny's had a particularly difficult time, as I understand it, in finding its way in the new way of hybrid retail. Uh, I remember, it seems like they had a CEO revolving door in the CEO chair there for a while. And uh, by the way, the one that I reported that had closed in Moore at the shops in Moore, it's open. My source was wrong, and so the story was incorrect. And we found out today, or I found out when somebody emailed me and this said that that store was pretty busy down there, uh, the shops at Moore to be closed. So, <laughs> so, uh, and the and the broker was as surprised as I was. He he just didn't know it was it was on the list to close for good when Penny's, I guess, went through bankruptcy. But for whatever reason, the stores the stores open. Well, good news for uh, for the employees down there and the people who shop. That's right. And Richard, this is a fun fact that I actually didn't know until I read your story. Um, Two-thirds of the retail stores in the Oklahoma City metro area are located in shopping centers and malls. I don't know where I thought they were located outside of those two options, but I didn't realize it was that many. Your story broke down which shopping centers in different geographic sections of the city were, were winners and losers during this pandemic. How did you define what made a retail center a winner or a loser? And did you see a trend that certain sections of the city were more successful overall in keeping their retail stores afloat? I think the usual suspects were still relatively successful. Uh, The uh, Memorial Road corridor, the area around Quail Springs Mall, the area around Penn Square, uh, I-35, which has developed way big in the last 10 years uh, from Moore to Norman. They're, they're, this, they're, they're the most successful no matter what else is going on in the economy. And so if the whole thing rises, they rise. And if the whole thing falls, they fall. And so they keep their relative position, I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's the way I think of it. It's about how many of them are in shopping centers. I think part of that is that we don't think, well, I can't answer for anybody else. I don't think of three little stores in a little bitty a linear building uh, as a quote shopping center, but it is. I mean, statistically, it's part of that, uh, those kinds of properties that they look at. To me, a shopping center is one that has the marquee sign with a dozen different uh, store names on it at the hard intersection, and there's as, uh, as much or more parking space as there is store space. It's not the Popeyes next to a vacant place next to probably a dispensary <laughs> or whatever, but it is. But I don't, maybe people don't think of it. Maybe others think of it that way as well. And when you were going through and saying, okay, this shopping center is a winner, this one's a loser, how did you break that down? Well, when I first uh, looked at it, I looked at the uh, statistics per property. The report that I reported on has each shopping center uh, and its vacancy or its occupancy. And so the first thing I did was I looked at, well, who's, who's 100% full? That's a winner by definition because all their space is leased and then i looked at the uh and then i looked at the uh the ones with the highest vacancy or the lowest 
occupancy, however you want to look at that. And so by definition, they're sucking wind, right? Uh, for different reasons, maybe because a national chain that had a particularly large space closed, bam, that's a real hard hit, you know, on a, on a medium-sized shopping center. Uh, and then I, I asked uh, Jim Perrick, who's the broker that put together the report, what his views were on the winners and losers. And so he was able to bring not just the hard statistics, but his familiarity with the neighborhoods and the parts of town and the trends over time uh, and the types of stores they are and whether they're national or regional, right, or, or local, and how big, and all that kind of stuff. And then he, he just drew some conclusions based on his experience. Uh, but, but I started out looking at just the numbers, because you don't have to be an expert in anything to understand that a piece of property that's 50% full is in worse shape than one that's 100% full, or zero. Zero, you're in really bad shape if you're 0% full. <laughs> I'm sure we've got some uh, some of those uh, uh, around, but you, you, you I don't, I'm not sure if you've specifically written about this recently. Um, but you know, in, in your your history of covering covering real estate in Oklahoma City, um, can you explain for us why why this matters? Why it, why it matters? Um, that well, why is real estate so important to the state's economic health? Like, if if real estate uh, in a particular sector is doing well, how does that affect the actual businesses that pick those places to to operate? One to me, it's more a reflection on the economy than a than a cause. Uh, as long as long as our national economy is based so thoroughly on spending, and it is. Still, like 75% of the economy is just how much money we spend for stuff and for entertainment and for services. So then if the places where we go and spend that money are in good shape, then it then it's reflection on the economy being in uh, good shape or relatively good shape. Uh, and, if the, and if they're all struggling, then it's because we're all struggling because there's high unemployment or, whatever, or underemployment. And so that's part of it. The other thing is the value of any commercial building that leases space depends on the income from that building. Uh, uh, an office building, a shopping center, uh, whatever. If it's leased out to multi-tenants especially, there's really no intrinsic value to that building like there might be for a house. It's based on the income stream, and that's based on how many leases you have lined up, what the lease rates are, and how long each lease is. And so then you can do a, you can do your business plan based on who you have in uh, your sp space now, and then your, your prospects are, and all this and that. And uh, uh, so so that's the other end of it. Oh oh, and then of course taxes, right? Property taxes are based on what the value of property. So if the economy's in good shape, people are spending lots of money, especially when we're talking retail again, if they're spending lots of money and those stores are healthy, then those properties have value and it's growing value. And so it strengthens the whole world. <laughs> it strengthens our infrastructure and anything that's paid for by property taxes, so much schools and county stuff and uh, all that. So that's why it's important. Switching gears here to residential property, the housing market has been, in a word, insane. Homes are selling at higher prices than they did before the pandemic, and they aren't on the market for long before someone snatches them up. How is it that we have such a wild demand for residential real estate while sections of our commercial economy have struggled? Part of it is 
underbuilding for the past 10, 12 years after the Great Recession. It took out builders, and it and it took out uh, mom and pop builders. I mean, you know, people they're, they're doing something else now. So then when housing started to turn around, they weren't there. It's kind of like the oil business when it comes and goes, right? If the oil business is down long enough, then they lose all their skills, uh, all their skilled workers. So then when it booms again, they got to panic and try to figure out to wake the Votex up again or, you know, do something like that to get people trained. Well, housing is kind of like that. Builders went away and they didn't come back. So there's that reality. Low interest rates do more than anything else to propel people to move in and to move up. And it's never been this. It's, I don't think it's. Well, no, it's never been this cheap to borrow money to buy a house. It ain't going to last forever. And so... Um, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to, if you're on the bubble about buying a house in the next six months, you probably ought to do it because <laughs> uh, it's not going to last forever. And when it, I imagine that when it, when, when those interest rates release, bam, you know, it's always, everything always goes down real slow. And then when it turns around, it turns around real fast. And so uh, you'll be left out in the cold uh, if you want to buy a house. Richard, you reported that home values in Oklahoma City rose 14% in just a year, 14% in one year. How does that compare to other states? Are we the most expensive state to live in now? No, no, not even close. I mean, the most recent story was talking about how we're still affordable, despite that 14% increase. We're all rel- we're, we're still way affordable relative to other big cities, especially the Denver's and the, not just the coast, but I mean, even the, the Dallas's and the Austin's, uh, we're, we're just not, we're not that expensive. Now, that's all relative too. If you're from here and you've always lived here and you've always made your wages here or whatever it is, then it's high and it's gone and 14% is huge. But if you're moving in here from some of these other places, <laughs> you're partying because your housing dollar is worth so much more here compared especially to the coasts. You can buy three or four houses for what you got for what you sold. Uh, so uh, that's just crazy. Uh, as far as individual increases for other cities, I really don't know. I don't think of it that way. Uh, I know that the nation as a whole, we were right in line. It was 12 to 14 percent year-to-year growth uh, is what I've been seeing. Richard, I'm not sure if, if you're overly familiar with this unique section of our real estate economy, but I wanted to ask you about industrial real estate. It's a part of our economy that you might not think of unless you maybe work in that sector, but it's not one of the places that we typically obviously don't live there and don't typically shop there for commercial purposes. Um, but, but has the pandemic had much of an impact on industrial real estate? Yes, and here's how. People shopping from home and over-shopping, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, and it's not just uh, Amazon. It's all the uh, last mile is what they call it. The last mile, last mile retail. The people that own the property, the last mile to my house from wherever, whatever I bought comes from. That's where the explosion has been in uh, demand for uh, industrial uh, property here in the past two to four years. And then, and then the marijuana. So those are the two things that are driving it. It's industrial usages by marijuana growers and et cetera. And then um, the retail shopping, which uh, tracks sort of in parallel with certain kinds of industrial property. So every time you buy something online, you're, you're touching the industrial property market. Now, you don't think of it that way, because why would you? But you are. And so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what's going on here. And plus, there, there's no, I think it's more difficult to do spec industrial construction 
I mean, things have to really be tight and they have to really be in high demand for somebody to gamble and for a lender especially to gamble on building, you know, a 200 or rather even a 100,000 square foot warehouse without somebody lined up to, to occupy it. But that's what's going on right now because we have such a low inventory of industrial property in Oklahoma City, what, 3.5%, I think is what I reported. Uh, that's enough. That's enough to trip the trigger. And so people are, are throwing up 100,000 square foot uh, warehouses without tenants lined up, confident enough that they will be able to fill that space to justify that investment and that gamble. In the early 2000s, I'd only been here like three or four years. It had been since the oil bust, or the oil boom rather, in the 80s, it had been that long since there had been any speculative industrial construction whatsoever. And so one 100,000 square foot warehouse started going up and it was a story. It was a story. It'd been 10 years, you know, since there had been anything like that. And so then there, there was some stable, you know, worked itself out and there's no more spec. And then maybe five, seven years ago, it seemed like there was some spec building. And now right now there's some spec building of industrial uh, properties and warehouses. So that's all reflective, again, of, of uh, not strength of retail, but strength of certain kind of retail, and that's online retail. Richard, thank you so much for taking us through what has been a wild real estate market over this past year and a half. Um, it's so interesting how things differ from the commercial side to a different story on the residential side. So we appreciate you keeping tabs on that and taking us through that today. To our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahomans' subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.